Hi, I'm Marcus Lee. Welcome to episode 10 of So This Works, the podcast about work-life balance. On today's episode, I talked to Liz Mitten, a theatre maker and creative facilitator based in Bristol in the southwest of England. Me and Liz share a special connection and today we talk about her writing for theatre, running small businesses and the productions we love and love not so much. I really hope you enjoy the episode. As always, when the beat kicks in, make sure you nod your head and we'll get into it. So stay tuned. So today I am joined by a very special guest. This guest I regard very highly. (laughs) This is my wonderful friend, Liz Mitten. Liz, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Now, this is a a podcast of two firsts. It's the first time we're doing a telephone interview on the podcast, so that's groundbreaking and brand new for me. But it's also the first time I've got a blood relative on the podcast because you are my... Sister. You are my sister. So (laughs) really privileged to have my sister on the So This Works podcast for the very first time. So Liz, tell us about yourself. What makes Liz Mitten Liz Mitten? What do you do? Who are you? So that's a big question, but um, I would say primarily I'm a theatre maker. Yeah. So that kind of sums up lots of different jobs, but I do some direction, producing, um, but mainly I'm a writer. So I write for theatre. Fantastic. So how did you get your start in theatre or what first inspired you to get into theatre? Wow. Uh, It was many, many eons ago. So um, I think I've always loved... um, creativity yeah I'll put it that way it's quite broad used to love writing poetry as a child and I still do that now um always loved drama at school or I should say that was probably the only subject that I was really good at school drama in English yeah and when I left school I went to study performing arts right in the um you know the amazing town of Wakefield wow <laughs> believe it or not when you were from Bradford going to Wakefield District College to do drama was a really big deal yeah so yeah I went to do performing arts there a b-tech and yeah I wasn't sure at the time what I wanted to do I just knew I wanted to do something creative yeah. I'd done lots of amateur kind of dramatics and theatre club at school and I probably would have said I wanted to be an actor or a singer yeah but Again, being from Bradford, it sounded really lofty. It sounded like, how on earth do you become that? How do you do it? Yeah. <laughs> and um, there were, I'm not sure there was the right guidance or the right kind of mentors around me at the time. Yeah. But yeah, it's something that I've always loved, basically, and it's never gone away. So in one sense, I think it was inevitable that this was going to be my my main thing at some point. Yeah, fantastic. So you are from Bradford because I'm from Bradford as well. So we're Bradfordians, yeah. but you're no longer a Bradfordian officially, are you? You know, in Bristol. I am, yeah, I am. I still kind of um, describe myself as a Yorkshire person. I'm very, um, I'm still very Northern, even though I can't hear it myself, but, you know, people down here tell me I am. I, I think you've lost it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, came to Bristol in 2011. Right. So, um, yeah, quite settled here. I've, I've really enjoyed my time here. So, um, what a big change. Why did you move to Bristol? Oh, gosh, that is the question. To be honest, um, the simplest way to say it really is that I just felt like we needed to change. Yeah. Nothing wrong with Bradford. I've got, like, mad love for Bradford. But for me personally, where I was at in my life and, and my husband as well, 
we just felt like we needed something different. It was really hard to pinpoint it. Yeah. And for me personally, I really felt like I needed to be anonymous. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know, just this feeling of going somewhere else and starting again and um, didn't really know anything about Bristol. Anyone in Bristol, I'd been through it before on my way to Cornwall. Yeah. But I knew it was a really creative city and I just thought, let's just pick somewhere to kind of reinvent ourselves. So yeah, we picked Bristol. Was it like putting your finger on the map and just saying, let's go there? Pretty much. Sounds really mad now, but I just remember one Friday evening we jumped in the car and we went down and it just felt like the right time. It was like, yeah, this, this is the this is the season to move on. Yeah. And um, I have to say it's done us good. It's done us a lot of good and I think it's made me braver as a person. Yeah. And um, and I've gained a lot, met a lot of people and it, it did a lot to help me move forward in my career as well. Fantastic. I think going to Bristol, visiting you obviously, I, I get the vibe that there's a great art scene down there. Like Bradford's yeah. wonderful. Bradford's got a lot of great things going on. Bradford's changed a lot in the past, well, nine or ten years since you've been gone. Yeah. But I feel like there's a real sense of arts and culture in Bristol. If I think if you're creative, I think you're going to excel down there. Yeah, yeah. Just for me, I always describe it as the feeling that there was more permission here. Yeah. And maybe that's just for me. I think I just needed to go somewhere where um, being an artist wasn't a, an unusual thing. Yeah. And um, they felt like there were a lot of opportunities here. But I mean, I have to be um, really honest about it. Bristol's the wealthiest city. Yeah. And I think, you know, while there are some issues here in terms of, you know, I can't think of another word, but it is quite segregated in some ways. That's another, that's probably another podcast. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when a city's got wealth, it does spill out. Yeah. In a different way. And I think Bradford struggled in the past because it has been quite deprived. Yeah. And we know that we we grew there, we we felt it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's art going on in Bradford, there's there's great stuff going on in Bradford too. Yeah. But I think for me, I needed to get out of my um comfort zone and go somewhere where I wasn't known and where I wouldn't kind of self you know, kind of self edit myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's why I think I needed to move. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about a fresh start. That's really yeah. good. So two words, Red Snapper is a piece of theatre that you've created, a piece of theatre, I know about it because I'm your brother, (laughs) but for the people who are listening, you've written a piece called Red Snapper. Could you tell us about Red Snapper and what Red Snapper actually means? Wow. Okay. So obviously for those who are into cooking, they'll know that Red Snapper is a fish. Um, (laughs) And um, I don't know if you remember, but it was called Red Mullet before. Do you remember that? I do remember that, yeah. In the early days. And I kind of picked a fish. And basically, it's a story of five Jamaican women at the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is 1962, and about their lives living under the the kind of threat of a nuclear attack. Yeah. So obviously Jamaica was in the Caribbean Sea, very close to 90 miles away from Cuba. Um, 1962, there were threats between Russia and America because the Russians were bringing missiles, um, you know, off the coast of Cuba. So there was this kind of tension in the air. Yeah. And some Jamaicans were fearful that they were going to be kind of collateral damage. Yeah. But in the shadow of this, you know, I kind of bring it right down to these five women who live in a small town and they're all married to men who were on the council. Yeah. And while the Cuban Missile Crisis was going on, it was also the summer of the first James Bond film, Doctor No. Yeah. And it's also the summer of Jamaican independence. Right, okay. 
A lot so, going on. Uh, a lot going on. Oh, yeah, it's massive. It was a lot of things going on in a very short amount of time. So I'm just looking at those kind of three key events: Independence, you know, Jamaica was the new kind of tourist hub, and the crisis, and see how that impacts these women and their lives and the decisions that they make. Yeah. And um, yeah, one of the key, um, you know, stories in the play is that these women are making a meal for Fidel Castro who's going to visit the island. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I smile when I say that because it is a—it's got funny elements to it, even though it's a really serious story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was inspired by some photographs I saw um, of our own grandparents back in Jamaica, and it just kind of made me think. Yeah. Our granddad was a mayor. I wonder what was going on in that council all those years ago. Yeah. Um, un, under that political kind of weight. Yeah. So yeah. Wonderful. So you write a piece. Yes. And we can all write something, but how does it actually reach the theatre? Yeah, well, this is the big question. I'm, I'm still asking myself that now because it is—it's not as streamlined as it could be. I think. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's not like there's there's just um, you know five easy steps to get a new play produced. It's actually quite complicated. Yeah. I feel quite blessed, I have to say, because I actually took part in a writing program at the Belgrade Theatre back in 2013 called Critical Mass. And it was a programme sponsored by the Royal Court Theatre in London. And it was based at the Belgrade. Yeah. And, you know, there were about 12 of us. We're all different writers, different ages, different abilities. And we were mentored by a dramaturg from the Royal Court Theatre. And, yeah, it was kind of my start of kind of taking myself seriously. I just saw it on BBC Writers' Room and thought, you know what, I'm going to apply for this. Yeah. Got on the program. It was like 12 weeks of intensive support to develop a script. Yeah. And to look at yourself as a writer. And it's the first time that I really, really saw myself as um having serious writing potential. You know, yeah. before that, it's kind of, oh, I write for a hobby. But this was like being in a room with people who were seeing themselves as serious writers, you know? Yeah. So that did me good. And then a year later, I produced Red Snapper during that year. Yeah. Kind of the first draft. And they did a rehearsed reading of it. So that's what often happens. You you kind of need to test your work to see how an audience feels about it. Yeah. And it's also a good opportunity to see, you know, what works, what doesn't work, what you want to kind of adapt and develop. So that went really well. That was a year later. That was in 2014. And then the year after that, the Belgrade came back to me and said, you know what, we want to do a full production of this. Yeah. So, yeah, that was amazing. So, yeah, it was March 2016. We did 17 shows got really good reviews really enjoyed the process i learned so much yeah <laughs> um, so we, i saw reviews in in the times yeah yeah in, yeah in the stage that's that was great yeah, yeah i think they gave it four stars or something it was brilliant so not bad, um, is it? No. not bad yeah but, i mean <laughs> so, it, was, it was really cool because i mean i'm talking on your behalf a little bit so sorry for doing this but you had actresses like kathy tyson in there yeah. who'd been in you know mona lisa and band of gold these 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 great actors and actresses no it was a great experience it was really exciting it was um yeah it, it was fantastic really really enjoyed just just being in a professional theater environment it was my first kind of time at that so it was exhilarating it was hard work but it kind of I don't know. It just got me. It got the creative juices going. It made me think this is what I really, really, really want to do forever, kind of thing. That's great. So we'll step back from theatre. We'll come back to theatre in a little bit. But with this being lifestyle and business, we also touch on business as well. And you are someone who has run businesses as well. Yeah, yeah. Could you tell us? Well, <laughs> this is such a biased podcast. This is so one-sided because we both we're both on the same side. 
I know about all these things because I'm your sibling. But could you tell us about some of the early businesses that you started and how they worked out? Yeah, I've always had this thing where I've I've wanted to do, I don't know, there's something about creating something from scratch. And I think I get quite excited about having a new idea and putting it into practice. And you know me, the minute I get an idea, I'm doing it immediately. Yeah. So I set up a couple of businesses before I had Community Solutions. Yeah which was about reaching out to different communities, doing training in the community, helping community groups to formalise right constitutions, teaching communication skills. Yeah. Really, really enjoyed that. I mean, you'll know I worked in housing for quite a while and I worked as a community development consultant. So it just felt like my natural territory to move into training. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Love working with communities, love working with grassroots organisations, working class communities. Yeah. And I don't actually remember we worked all over the place at the time. I did yeah. lots of work in, you know, ex-mining towns and some work in Merthyr Tidville. Yeah. Yeah, it was exhilarating. <laughs> and, um, that was one company. Yeah. And then I set up another company with a friend called Lifestyle Management Company, mm-hmm. where we, yeah, we were cleaners for a while. Okay. So we were cleaning people's houses. We were cooking meals for people. We were running errands. And we kind of described ourselves as kind of a boutique. Well, that's why we called it the lifestyle management company. We didn't yeah. call ourselves a cleaning company. Yeah. We felt like we were doing a whole raft of services for people who were busy. Yeah. And really enjoyed that. It was funny because my friend who um, set up with, she was um, a social worker. Yeah. I'd been doing consultancy for ages and it just felt like we wanted to do something simpler. Yeah. But it wasn't simple. It was quite hard work. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think for both businesses, I think, I do wonder about them sometimes because we closed both of them down and I wonder how successful they would have been if we continued. Yeah. I think for me, one thing that I, I've i often struggled with is I often get new ideas and think, right, I want to move on to the next thing because I enjoy the um, mm. excitement of starting. Yeah. I think if I was one of these billionaires, I'd be brilliant at just giving people capital <laughs> to start new ventures and yeah. to sponsor new ideas. Yeah. Because that's part of the process that I really enjoy. I'm, I'm not so much a manager. Yeah. I'm a you know, I'm good at the ideation part. Yeah. I think that's sometimes why things have maybe not lasted in the way they can. But I think one thing it's taught me over the years is what my strength is, mm. where I need to focus my energy. And it is definitely on initiating and starting and creating. Yeah. Um, but I'm not necessarily a long-term manager, um, a long-term project manager. I think we're really similar because I'm also a great ideas person. And I love having an idea, but it's it's following through with that, isn't it? Yeah. And I think in recent years, I've really tried hard to be a man of my word. So if I say, right, I've got this idea, I'm, I'm going to follow through with it. Unless it's a terrible idea, then it's after a while you can figure out, no, this isn't going to work or it's not yeah. worthwhile. But I really try and, and stick and, and follow that through. But it's really hard because yeah. <laughs> you, you're excited at the start. Yeah. Big time. And then when you're handing out flyers <laughs> on a Wednesday afternoon, you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I've yeah, got the passion that, for this. That that side of it, you know, the actual, you know, pounding the pavement stuff, that's quite hard. Yeah. But I think as well, it's just recognising what you are good at. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's why partnership's really good. It's really good partnering with people. Yeah. It might be you do your part, then there'll be somebody else who's delighted to do all that management, all that project management side and the pounding the pavement stuff. Yeah. I think it's about finding the, other, the right kind of people to work with you. Yeah. Um, that can slow things down. Because if you're like me, you want it to be done now or yesterday. Yeah. But I think if you can just like hold back a bit and say, right, okay, this is going to take a bit longer. It gives you a chance to build your team and get the right people involved. So I think that's one lesson that I've learned 
find the right people to work with yeah good advice good advice <laughs> know what your exit point is know when you're going to be leaving and handing it over yeah how do you find that exit point like how do you know sometimes it's the right time to end this business it's the right time to end this relationship do you know what i don't know i think it just comes with experience yeah. i think some of these things are just gut feelings not that you enjoy every bit of your daily life it's not like you can think oh no i'm not enjoying this i'm not going to do this bit of work yeah i've got to do spreadsheets you've got to do all that stuff yeah but um, I think you know where your strengths lie and you think if, you know, should I be paying someone else to do this better than me rather than trying to do everything yourself? I think that's, you can do more harm yeah. holding on to something than actually passing it on to somebody who'll excel at it. Definitely. So I think it's just being really honest about what your skills are, kind of auditing what your skill level is. Yeah. And then thinking, no, this is not for me long term. I need to do it now while I've got no money. Yeah. <laughs> but um, as soon as I can, I need to give this to someone who's trained and passionate about this. Good stuff. So stepping away from skill levels and those sorts of things, uh, I want to ask you about your inspirations. Coming back to creative Liz, let's step away from business Liz. <laughs> and let's think about creativity. Creativity. Who inspires you? Who inspires me? Do you mean other artists or? Other artists, musicians, writers, painters, trapeze right. artists. Right. It's really broad, I think, because um, I get inspired a lot by music. Yeah. I've got lots. I'm one of these people. I like all kinds of music. I think I like absolutely everything apart from perhaps death metal. Everyone um, loves death metal. Come on. <laughs> no, I'm the only person who doesn't like death metal. I like all kinds of music. I'm probably I like folk music. I like soul music. Yeah. But I think one of my one of my absolute favourite artists is Kate Bush. Because I remember as a younger person just being really inspired by the fact that she put her first album out when she was still in her teens. Yeah. And just how different it was. It was just her. It wasn't mimicking anybody else. And I, I get really inspired by people who are just themselves, particularly female artists. Yeah. Like, I really love Joanna Trading. Um, I remember seeing her on TV when I was quite young, when I was about seven or eight. Yeah. <laughs> and just thinking, gosh, there's a black woman who plays the guitar, who's got natural hair, who's not got any makeup on. You know, not that I'm, you know, advocating women not wearing makeup or anything if they want to do that. Mm. But I just found it inspiring that she could be so different to a lot of the other glam acts around at that time. Yeah. And again, it wasn't that common then to be seeing black women up there with a the guitar. So that really got me as well. Did you have a so, Tracy Chapman phase? Yeah, I love Tracy Chapman. It, the phase has never ended. Okay, you still got a fast car. <laughs> I love her as well for the same reasons. I just yeah. think that stepping out and being authentic, I know we overuse that word sometimes, but that's what really inspires me, people just being themselves and not mimicking someone else. Yeah. Um, Something that, you know, I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do as well hmm. in my own work. So yeah, there are two inspirations. I like I like all sorts. I like film. I like I like reading novels. Again, really broad range, but I do read a lot of crime novels. Yeah. Any writers that inspire you? I like lots of different um writing. When I was younger, I really devoured books by Maya Angelou, yeah. things by Toni Morrison. I like a lot of stuff by black writers. I think probably because I was a young black woman and I wanted to see other people who were doing it. Yeah. Um, so I love Alice Walker. Yeah, so I like that kind of novel. But I also like I, I like crime writing. I like things that are considered pulp in some ways. Yeah. So I like I like John Grisham yeah. um, novels. Um, I don't have any guilty pleasures now. I just think it's all right and it's all good. It's all creativity. Yeah. So I don't kind of rank things as high art and low art or anything. Yeah. I really like, I like James Elroy. Yeah. Read lots of his books when I was at uni. Got really into his dark yeah. kind of um, dark minds. I really like that kind of crime fiction. Yeah. In terms of TV, I love Scandi Noir. I love anything Scandi. 
Fantastic. Talking about um, uh, crime novels, I had a period where I really got into Jack Reacher. Uh, oh, yeah. books by Lee Child. I read I read loads of those and I would just I'd demolish them. I'd, I'd go through a book, you know, very, very quickly. But that's uh, it. I, I have books for different moods, you see. So I have things that are quite deep. Yeah. And I think just with some of the studying I've done, I've had to read like loads of academic books and things that are considered quite high if we're going to categorise things. Yeah. Um, but I like things that I can just devour, that I just really enjoy, that, I, that you know, I can really visualise the story as well. Yeah. Um, so I've, read, I've read a lot of Lee Charles and, you know, yeah, I, I'll read anything. I, I'll read absolutely anything as long as it engages my heart, as long as it makes me, it builds a, a really good visual picture. Great. You can by anything. Yeah. You know? Great stuff. Should we play a game? Go on. I play this game with all of my guests. Go on. What is it? This game is called Would You Rather. Okay. I'm sure you've heard of it before. Cool. It's really simple. I'm going to give you 10 options. Well, I'm actually going to give you 20 options. It's 10 questions. And I'm going to ask you, would you rather do this or would you rather do that? Is it quick fire? It's not quick fire. Well, I'll give you about five seconds to think. Five okay. seconds maximum to think. It's just to try and figure out who Liz Mitten is. So we, okay. get a, we get to paint a picture of the type of person that you are. So cool. 10 questions, but you have to give an answer. You can't just say neither. Okay, cool. Or neither. Neither or neither. Can't see cool. it is. Right, here we go. So first question, Liz Mitten. Would you rather eat as much chocolate as you want forever without any negative side effects or receive £1 million today? £1 million today. Why is that? Because um, it would just give me. You need the cash. Uh, well, opportunity to do lots of things that I'd like to do. Yeah, and, and give some to you. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Next question: Would you rather know every language in the world or know how to talk to animals? Oh, talk to animals. Have you got a favourite animal that you like to talk to? Dog, and donkeys as well. Why donkeys? Because they always look so sad. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just their facial expression. Maybe that means they're really happy. No, I'd like to sit down and do a counselling session. <laughs> no, I'd love that to talk to animals, yeah. Okay, talking to animals, especially donkeys. Okay, next question. Would you rather be the strongest person in the world or the fastest person in the world? Oh, fastest. Why? Just whiz around and visit. Visit lots of different places. I'd just love to be able to run full stop. I'd love to be able to run <laughs> one, one full minute without stopping. Okay. Fair enough. It's a good goal. <laughs> I think you could do that anyway. But, you know, it's a goal. <laughs> Hashtag life goals. Next question. Would you rather be able to see your own future or be able to see everyone's future but your own? Oh, gosh. That's horrible. Oh, I don't want to see anybody's future. You don't want to see anyone's future? No, I think I find that quite a burden. <laughs> but you don't have to tell them. I mean, it just means that you can see their future, isn't it? No, no, no. I think I'd rather see my own then if I had to pick one. Pick your, pick your own future. Yeah. Fair enough. Question five. Would you rather have to wear stiletto heels to bed or have to wear slippers wherever you go? Oh, I, I just don't for stilettos in bed. Nice. Is it because you want to go out and just look good and always be able to choose your footwear? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it would. Fine. <laughs> Next question. Would you rather never remember someone's face? Or never remember someone's name? Oh, never remember the name. Because they could forgive you. If you had war, if you were warm towards them and you remember the times you spent together, it wouldn't matter so much that you didn't remember the name. Mm. But forget the face, is, oh, that'd be sad. 
feels a bit rude, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. They both feel rude, but that's probably yeah. rude, the rude <laughs> uh, option. You pretend you don't know somebody's name, can't you? Yeah. But you don't recognise the face, you're going like, to look confused all the time. Yeah, but how are you going to blag that for the rest of your life? Like, you've met them six times and then you just don't remember their name. Yeah, well... Or, or, worse still, or worse still, they ask you to introduce them to someone else. <laughs> A special friend. Good, good way of doing it. <laughs> Next one. Would you rather be able to change one thing in your past or have a real get out of jail free card? Uh, a one time get out of jail. One in my past. Change one thing in your past. Yeah. We won't talk about regrets or anything because that's, that's another podcast. Yeah. Fair enough. Question eight. We're almost there. Would you rather forget how to speak or forget how to read? Oh my God. Gosh, I think I would um, forget how to read because I could still speak and I could still sing. You can still tell stories even if you can't read. Fair enough. Question nine. Would you rather, this is a fun one, would you rather have your thumbs replaced with your big toes or have your little fingers replaced with your pinky toes? Oh, that's horrible. That's like horror film stuff. It is, yeah. Well, no, I'm not putting my big toes anywhere. I'd have to do my little toes. <laughs> little toes, fair enough. Okay, last one. That's a horrible image. Can I just say that? It's a horrible image. Well, you'll go to bed with that tonight, I'm sure. But I wish... Yeah, that's great. That's cool. Family. Final question. Would you rather have... And this is a real first world problem, Liz. I can't tell you what first world problem this one is. Cool. Would you rather always have really slow internet or always have a really bad phone signal? I could live without the phone. I need the internet. What about talking to people? I could talk to them online. I know it sounds antisocial, but I could talk to them online and then just see them face to face. With your great internet. Yeah, and I'm not brilliant on the phone anyway. I don't like calling people. So is that you're you're saying you would rather have a really bad phone signal? I'd rather have a really bad phone signal. Yeah. Fair enough. That's the end of the game, Liz. Thank you very oh, much. interesting. Just out of interest while we're talking about the internet, uh, this is really important for the times that we're in. This is a really deep and meaningful question. Go on. Uh, but what are you currently watching on Netflix? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm watching Bosch season five. That's on Prime, isn't it? Oh, it's on Prime. Sorry. Oh, gosh. I should yeah. ask, well, video on demand. Okay. So we're watching Bosch on Prime. We're watching The Hunters. Yep. Yeah. Or Hunters which is about, you know, tracking down yeah. Nazis in the 1970s. Al Pacino, which is, yeah. Which is brilliant, it's on I the think. List. It's on the list of things to watch. Um, I'm also watching Picard, um, but I'm watching that on my own because Bruce refuses to watch it. Bruce is your husband, by the way. Yeah, Bruce yeah, is Just for everyone, everyone else, um, listen, yeah. So I'm having to watch that by myself, but I don't mind. Mm-hmm. Not much else in demand. I'm watching a bit of The Oval on BT, which is hideous. Nice. But I can't stop watching it. Okay. Is that a guilty pleasure? Do you know what? It's it's a guilty thing because it's not actually a pleasure, but I feel like I've started, so I need to finish. Yeah, that's it for me at the minute. Online, I'm not really watching much else, but I am waiting to watch Ozark. Yeah, I can't do that until Bosch finishes because I can't deal with the um the emotional load of two programs like that. I think you need to watch Ozark immediately. Ozark's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I keep hearing. I've got friends who are putting spoilers on Facebook. Bad friends. <laughs> Just touching on um, The Oval one more time, because The Oval is a show that we've both watched. And if we also talk about writing as a writer, <sighs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take the lead. I'm a filmmaker. Yeah. I consider myself a bit of a writer. I, I write scripts as well. Mm. I love the idea of someone creating a TV show and, and really, you know, taking a lead and doing as much as they can to make it happen. Yeah. 
I just see that as it's, it's a show by Tyler Perry. Everyone, I'm, I'm sorry, Tyler Perry, if you ever get to listen to this, but yeah. I'm, I'm sure we were ever going to meet. But it, the writing's poor. The writing is poor. But it's a show that's still being made. As a writer, when you see that, what do you think? I still can't quite understand it, really, to be honest, because. I can understand somebody writing, you know, creating, writing, directing, producing something if they've got no resources, yep. if they can't afford to bring other professionals in. Yeah. But someone in Tyler's position, you know, like one of the most wealthy people mm-hmm. in, in the US, not just in the industry, but yeah. he's, he's, um, you know, make a rich person. Yeah. I don't know why it's just not brought writing because the writing is absolutely appalling. Yeah. And that's not me being judgy it's just appalling it's it's really difficult to watch mm. and um i'm really surprised it's happened and i think mm-hmm. he's been you know slated pretty uniformly in the press yeah and he doesn't really care about the reviews as well which tells me i don't know he's in a class all of his own i think because i think he writes for a different reason yeah i mean i love i love tyler perry and i love tyler perry's background and his story and where he's come yeah. from a real a real rags to riches and gone through all sorts of tragedy in his in his youth yeah. and his, his younger yeah. years. I just feel like it, it then becomes difficult to criticise someone that you hold in high esteem. It is difficult, but I think, like I was saying, I don't think he sees it as an art form because I think if he did, anybody who is an artist of any type always seeks to put their best stuff out there, seeks to improve. They seek mentors as well. Because I think when you're wanting to develop something, when you're creating art, you need to be mentored. Yeah. You need to listen to people who are further ahead than you. There's always going to be someone further ahead, isn't there? Yeah. Um, and you want to improve your craft, even if you've got a natural talent. You know, even someone who's a great dancer, they still do lessons. Yeah. So I think the fact that he doesn't do that and he doesn't like to listen to other people's criticism. Yeah tells me that he's not serious about his art mm. he's probably i mean i might be misjudging him but i've just i'm just going from interviews with him yeah um where he's serious about his business and he knows there's a market for what he does yeah which is why he sticks with it but in terms of it being art mm. um he's less interested in that which is disappointing really yeah and it's a shame i just feel i feel sad about it because i feel it's a missed opportunity yeah you know, he's got he's got all the mega books. He could bring so many other people in to produce something great. And he could also give so much opportunity to other writers who need that opportunity. Hmm. But hey-ho. Each to their own. I, I don't want to go off on a massive tangent, but watching The Oval, there is something I've noticed about the portrayal of black women. Yeah. And I'm not targeting you because you're a black woman and saying that you've got to give the right answer. <laughs> yeah, the way that, well, for people, again, that haven't seen the show, Black women, or women in general, but Tyler Perry's projects tend to involve black casts. Yeah. I always portrayed him in the best light. No, he portrays black women in a lot of his work as angry or, um, you know, ready to flip out. Often they are stereotypes. Yeah. Or if they're in love, they're usually unlucky in love or they get punished for being in love or being passionate. Something Mm. bad usually happens. Yeah. And I think because the writing is often so weak, the stories are not very plausible. So things just happen completely out of the blue. Yeah. And they'd almost be laughable if they weren't so violent in their treatment of women. So I think that's another sad thing. So you think, come on, Tyler, you could have done something better here. Mm. Bring some women on, bring some black women on (laughs) to do some writing and producing and stuff. And you might get a different, Mm. I don't know, it's an opportunity to tell a different story. Yeah other than the one that people often believe about black women being angry or feisty or sassy or 
or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know about you. I think as a black person who is creative, and yeah. we're not going to make this podcast about race or anything like that, <laughs> but when you're a creative who is black... I think there's often an expectancy that you need to tell black stories, which is fine if if you want to do that. If you want to tell a story about, you know, black history, that's, that's perfectly fine. But often black stories, when they make it to the mainstream, uh, make it to a mainstream audience, they often have a lot of negative connotations. So black people are drug dealers it's in the ghetto it's baby mamas and baby fathers and single parents and yeah. the hood there's, there's a lot of that so how do you feel when you when you bring a story because some of your stories do in, involve black characters so yeah. what is your take on writing scripts writing pieces of theater about black people i mean again it depends on the story but i mean stories are just stories Sometimes I think, am I writing black stories? But I'm just writing stories about people, and I happen to be black. Yeah. So I write stories about people who look like me. Yeah. And not exclusively, but that that is part of it. But I think because I'm a black woman, and because of some of my own experiences, and because of how I see black women being marginalised and misrepresented, often I want to put something different out there. I want to write about the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of our life, the rest of our experience, you know, black people as diverse thinking passionate loving educated interesting multi-layered people yeah <laughs> and not just as the you know the gangster yeah the parent you know and, the pimp. And, all, and, and all those people exist as well but yeah. those people are multi-layered as well it's not just one thing yeah so i think that's in my mind and and that's the whole thing about writing plausible characters you yeah. want to write about people who who people can identify with, believe in. And, you know, you can't do that by just picking up a stereotype and, and trotting it out. Yeah, true. I agree. Moving away from that then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> talking about, we, we love we love stories. And to all the filmmakers out there and all the creatives, I, I, I always take my heart off. Even if someone's made a bad film, I think you've still made a film. <laughs> or if someone's written a bad piece of theatre, you've still made that piece. So my ha- yeah, I take my hat off to you for, for doing that. Yeah, yeah. But then after a while, you have to hold them to a, a higher standard and say, well, okay, you, you've now got a more powerful voice. So yeah. let's step it up. So well, that's all we'll say about that. But talking about the current days that we live in, we can't ignore the elephant in the room. I've tried yeah. to sometimes, but talking about the C word, COVID-19, yeah. how's it affected you and how are you doing? Yeah. How's, and how's the lockdown affected you? Yeah, the lockdown has been a bit of a shock. <laughs> Up until a few weeks ago, I was just thinking this was going to be a little blip, if I'm yeah. really honest, quite yeah. naively, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so I think just the speed that this has affected people's lives has just taken me by surprise. It's just, I still feel a bit shocked. Yeah. Because obviously it's curtailed a lot of my work. Yeah. And plans that I had for the next few months. So, yeah, whenever things happen that you feel you've got little control of, it's always a bit of a shock to your system. There's always a bit of grief involved in it. Yeah. But on the flip side, I have to say, you know, again, we, we live a, a, a fairly privileged life compared to lots of different people. Yeah. Got a roof over my head. I'm not in lockdown on my own. I've got my husband and my child. Yeah. And um, it's been an opportunity to rethink some things and to spend some more time with my son. Yeah. So it's not perfect um, and it is stressful. And, you know, I'm just thinking about I'm not writing a masterpiece. I'm not learning a language or doing anything like that. Yeah. And, you know, hats off to anybody who's doing that stuff. Yeah. We've all got to survive. But for me, 
it's just about staying level-headed. Yeah. Um, being as positive as I can be and planning as much as I can for, for when this is over. Yeah, I think it is about looking forward, isn't it? To... It is looking forward. I mean, I have to look forward. That kind of keeps me sane. Yeah. And then knowing that this this too will pass. <laughs> yeah. Um, one day we'll look back at a time, yeah, gosh, I had my son at home for a few weeks. That was a really interesting period of yeah. him being taught at home and mm. No, we had to garden. We we planted some seeds and in some pots, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm trying to stay positive, but yeah, I do appreciate it. it's a tough time for so many people, particularly those who are on their own, particularly those who are on low income. Yeah. There are other people who get hit really hard at, at times like this. Yeah. So I'm I'm just trying to just just spare a thought for those people. You know, people living in hostels. Yeah. Or those who are homeless, even it's. It, it's tough yeah it's really tough and um you know we're gonna have to really steal ourselves to stay to stay positive at this time i think yeah the next thing i was going to say was going to be quite flippant but you've you've (laughs) you've you've made me feel a bit sad there (laughs) but no you're you're absolutely right the two things i think about i think about a month ago more or less to the day i was watching football man united versus manchester city and i was watching it at home and thinking i could go out to watch it but i can't be bothered so i'll just watch it in my living room yeah, whereas yeah. you know if i had the choice to do that outside i'll go to a, a bar or a pub and, and watch that now i think wow that seemed like an absolute luxury yeah. and the other thing is when you watch things on television so you watch uh, a film with people in a restaurant you think yeah. oh that'd be, that'd be illegal now yeah, <laughs> yeah. or not illegal but it'd be you know greatly frowned upon and people would be fined to the hill and you know that's yeah. that's that that's like a, that was only a month ago we, we were doing all that stuff yeah, it's I, weird. I went to the cinema a month ago. I can't do that now. You yeah. know, um, if I... just fucking people. I've just been like, yeah. you know, you just think, gosh, you went out in the street and you're trying to step off the pavement so you don't touch somebody. Whereas yeah. before, I'm, I'm quite touchy-feely and huggy person. Yeah. I think, gosh, what, will, it just, will we just adapt back to that? Yeah. When will it be okay to, to reach out your hand and touch someone again? Yeah. Um, or are we going to be... I don't know, are we going to be affected by this for a while? Yeah. <laughs> Even if we are allowed to meet, are we going to meet in the same way? So Exactly. Yeah. As, you, as you know, like I do salsa. I mentioned this in the last podcast episode that I do salsa. Yeah, and yeah. me and Pam, my wife, we go together and we dance together and then we dance with our friends. We dance with, but but the thought of that now, just holding a random person's hand and saying, would you like to dance? And, and yeah, taking the hand and dancing feel, yeah. feels, feels really dirty now yeah <laughs> it just feels wrong so you think oh gosh do we return to that stuff where you shake hands with strangers and and oh, interact wow. how we used to interact yeah i don't know interesting yeah liz can you tell us about any projects that you have in the future when everything returns back to normal yeah so um quite a few different projects i'm i'm currently writing something about um emperor Haile selassie Right. And about his time in exile in Bath. Right. So I'm really looking forward to developing that. Could you tell us in 10 seconds for the listeners who don't know who that is? Could you explain who that person is? He was um, emperor of Abyssinia um, back in the 1930s, 40s and onwards. Yeah. But um, in the mid-30s, when Mussolini invaded Abyssinia, which is now Ethiopia. Yeah. He was forced into exile and he came to the UK and was given refuge in the city of Bath. Lovely. I'm sure people can go on Wikipedia and read the rest yeah, of it, but yeah. I just thought... Sorry, yes, yeah, so I'm writing I'm writing about him, really. Yeah. So just the idea of this African king um, residing in a very, very English town. <laughs> Lovely. 
Um, so yeah, I'm writing a piece about that, and I'm developing some other work for very small audiences of elderly people because I just really wanted to do something that was combating loneliness mm-hmm. amongst older people, yeah, and that allowed them to see theatre in their own homes. That's great. So that's another interesting project that I'm working on right now. Wonderful. Almost there. We're almost going to wrap this up, but I think it'd be really good if you could share some advice, maybe. Could you give some advice for other creatives, other practitioners, other writers, other people who want to get into drama because you're a little bit older than someone who is, say, 18? We'll just say that much. Um, If you were to give some advice to a, a young creative coming through, what kind of advice would you give them? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the creative industries are, are really exhilarating, really exciting. There are so many different careers, whether it's as a performer, you know, a, an actor, singer, dancer, comedian, um, you know, or as a behind-the-scenes person, a director or a producer or a stage manager. Yeah. I think, you know, there are so many different careers and people often slip and slide between lots of different things. Yeah. But then I think to anybody pursuing a creative career is just keep practising. Mm-hmm. Because I think sometimes people feel like, oh, when I get to this stage, I'll be able to do this work or I'll be able to go to London or I'll be able to go to America and do it. But I think the main thing is you've got to keep practising where you're at. Yeah. I think if you're a very young person, you know, get involved in your local theatre club at school if you've got one or amateur dramatics, you know, programme. If you're a young writer, just write stuff. Because I think the main way that you get better at writing is, is actually by writing. Yeah, and you know you, you often hear about people with writer's block you know wanting to put that perfect sentence down yeah you just need to write anything because unless you put something on the page yeah you, you've got nothing to tweak you've got nothing to edit you've got nothing to review and reflect on yeah just get right get the work down and see other people's work yeah you know you know yourself if you want to be a good filmmaker you need to watch a lot of film yeah if you want to be a good playwright or a novelist, or whatever, read other people's work, go and see other people's shows, because it's the sharpest way to actually, in, you know, improve your own practice. Thank you. Good advice. Good advice. Last thing then, if people want to find out more about you, where can they find out more about Liz Mitten and all oh, she does? Well, they could go to my webpage, yep. if you like, um, which is Liz Mitten Writes. Mitten is M-Y-T-T-O-N. Yep. So lizmittenwrites.com. Okay. And yeah, that's my website. Liz, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. It's been really cool chatting to my wonderful sister. Thank you. We will get you back on it when we've got some more projects to talk about. And maybe we'll just shoot the breeze and go off on another tangent again. Oh, thanks, Tom. But Liz, stay safe like everyone else is. Say, look after yourself. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Take care. Well, you've made it this far, so thanks for listening to this episode of So This Works. I hope these insights and conversations help to inspire you, and please come back for the next one, which I hope will encourage you in some way. For more information about the podcast, please visit the website sowthisworks.co.uk, and I hope you'll join me again soon. And until next time, take care.